Tonight's talk is on the ways that we compartmentalize our spiritual life, how we think some parts of life is spiritual and the rest is other stuff, and in that way not really walk through our days in a wakeful manner. The other name for this talk is Church on Sunday, with nothing against Church on Sunday unless that's all there is in our life that wakes us up. To begin by saying that the common grounds of all Buddhist teachings is really an affirmation of our inherent capacity to awaken. All Buddhist teachings say is we're awakening Buddhas. We're beings that are waking our hearts and minds to really discover our natural wisdom and compassion, that it's all there and it's happening. And one of the descriptions of how we can express that in daily life is that we become unconditionally friendly with all that arises. And I've always loved that phrase, unconditionally friendly towards life. That's a really nice feeling. I like it for several reasons. It inspires me because I love the word friendly. You know, it's the word metta or loving kindness when translated in Pali, the root translation has to do with friendliness. Because when we're feeling friendly, we feel good. Isn't that so? Friendliness is nice. So there's the friendly part that there be a friendliness towards life which connotes a deep sense of presence because whenever we're friendly towards someone or towards ourselves, we're here for it. We're here for the experience. The breadth of the term is in the word unconditional. That we're not fair-weather friends. Do you know what I mean? That we're friendly in a way that doesn't change, that doesn't stop or go away because in some way we feel offended, that it doesn't go away because things aren't going the way we want to, that it's not due to conditions. So this is one of the inspiring visions or possibilities that's basic to the Dharma, which means to the path. And, as each of us knows, as much as we want to be intimate and friendly, we all turn off, shut down, numb out, take a vacation from being here fairly regularly. It's habitual. So it becomes an important inquiry and question to ask regularly is what blocks this unconditional friendliness? If this is the capacity, what blocks it? What we discover, and there's a lot of different words for it, but that in some way we live in a sea of judgment, in what's called comparing mind. If you watch your mind as you go through the day, it's chronic, and it's acute, and it's painful. We're always judging. It's not always a horrific judgment like awful, terrible, you know, write-off type judgment, but it's always a better, worse, up, down, more power, less power. We have a lot of judgments that go on. Judging sometimes can be skillful. There's such a thing as wise discrimination, as seeing what causes suffering and what we have to pay attention to and discriminating between what's helpful and what's not helpful. So this isn't a, you know, just a blackening of any possible mental discriminations, but rather 
to see how so much of our judging creates pain. So how much of it in some way creates a distance between ourselves and our own being and ourselves and each other, creates a distance from being in the moment. So tonight I'd like to explore the main domains, and I've kind of divided it up into three. The Buddhists like to do that, you know, they have lists and three of this and five of that and the eight nobles and the, you know, lots of those. So I'm just kind of following suit here tonight. (laughs) Three compartments, three areas that we judge. And I'd like to tonight explore both with words and also with some guided reflections uh, ways that we can start including more of what we exclude in our spiritual path. So, the first area that we compartmentalize is kind of an overt one, which is parts of our life. That it, we come here tonight and there's a certain quality of uh, expectation or anticipation of what we're doing and what it means. And for some of us, it's personal growth or learning to relax. Uh, others, you know, spiritually waking up and being free, or others, I need to torture myself a little to build some muscle, or whatever it is for you, you know, but there's some, we have an idea, and it's usually got some spiritual connotation, I think. (laughs) And it's quite different than the mood or atmosphere or expectation we have when we're about to go into the laundry room and take out the laundry and put it into the dryer or take it from the dryer and fold it. And it's rare, but not never, that we let that too be a meditation, you know, picking out the warm clothes and feeling them and folding them carefully and, you know, making that into sacred presence also. We compartmentalize. Sitting is spiritual. Being in nature often is more spiritual. Being with certain people has that feel. And then other times, other people, other settings, in traffic on 495 when it's 10 miles backed up, doesn't feel so spiritual, right? (laughs) I know, I do that. It's natural to have preferences. It's natural to have some activities and circumstances be much more conducive to getting quiet and opening our hearts. And It's also part of our path to begin to include more and more those areas that we get habitual, that we tune out, that we don't like, where we get grumpy and where we get moody. There's been a description of the way we sometimes approach things as kind of a spiritual bulimia, where we throw ourselves in and this is spiritual time, and then we totally dissociate and this is something else time. It's important to look at. Jack Kornfield frequently has described his time in in Thailand and Burma and and some of his meetings with different monks from Asia. And in one particular meeting he described, I was very struck by seeing how this theme ran through that he he went over to Thailand and was visiting some of the um, refugee, uh, the border refugee camps and and encountered a very, very devoted monk. He was in his 40s and he 
had been for many years serving, but here he was in a circumstance where people were dying and suffering, and he was kind of a beacon of light in his pro-democracy work and offering comfort to people there. And in the midst of his work and his service, he fell in love with a Thai woman that was also volunteering in the area. Months after this, Jack was still in the area, and he heard that this monk had decided to self-immolate. He was going to go to the Burmese embassy and burn himself as a protest of what was happening, the conditions in the border camp. And Jack was really disturbed, so he went to meet with him, and he describes the meetings, and they were really, um, it was really intense, because this guy, although he said he was going to be killing himself as a way to protest and so on, when he started talking, what he actually was doing was he was telling himself because he was in a situation he couldn't deal with. This man had spent 29 years of his life as a devoted monastic monk, and here he was in love, and these, his worlds collided, and he didn't see a way out. So he's going to kill himself. Now Jack is, is a therapeutic type as well as a meditation teacher, and he talked to him a lot, and, and through the talking helped him to try to see that the worlds could come together some. And this monk decided to give a kind of cooling off period in the relationship so he could really just reflect on what pathway he wanted to follow. And he decided to continue being a monastic monk, but he brought back with him into his practice and his teachings all this human passion that he had kind of divided out and pushed away for all these years, and as the story has it, became an outstanding teacher. And this story for me was just a perfect example of how sometimes the most devoted spiritual practitioners can really be keeping out a huge section of their life from their spiritual explorations. Spiritual is not removed from the fray. It's not above the messiness. It's not after the storm has calmed down, then we you know, experience the bliss. It's the awakening of our hearts and the minds in the midst of it all. The Zen Buddhists have a phrase that our practice is to sit and sweep the garden. And we just do that. We sit and we sweep the garden. No matter how big the garden is, how wild, how overgrown, how messy, how congested, we just sit and sweep the garden. It's hard to shake the compartments. It's hard to put them aside. Uh, we're very habituated to having certain associations and feeling safe and free in some environments and very triggered off in others. So we've closed off parts of our lives. We've difficult areas where we're fearful or attached. We've kind of walled them off as this, I can't deal with this in that way. Our places where we go to sleep, where we're routine, this just is not something I can bring in that same quality of wholeheartedness. So it helps to remember that spirituality is a continual movement away from compartmentalization and separation and towards embracing all of it, everything. 
So take a moment, if you will, and you can sit up if it helps, and we'll just do a little reflection on where this might be real and true for you. Sitting in a way that's comfortable and alert. Let your eyes close and just feel the natural rhythm of your breathing. Let yourself become quiet and present. When you feel open and arrest a bit, begin to reflect on the spiritual and the sacred in your life. When and how does a sense of the sacred most clearly appear in your life? What activities brings it most alive? For some it might be meditation, others prayer or walks in nature or music. What places do you consider as sacred? What are the situations or circumstances that really awaken the sense in you? Feeling what it's like for you to live in this spirit. Now take a few full breaths. Then directing your reflection towards the opposite experiences. What areas of your life do you least hold as sacred? Where are the dimensions of your life with little mindfulness and little compassion? Where you've forgotten, disconnected? from what matters. The places you're not awakened, it may have to do with aspects of your body or your life as a man or woman, any aspect of your feelings and mind, but it might also have to do with places of work or business, money, politics, community. particular activities, your creative life, shopping, driving, being in cities or hospitals, any place or dimension that you've excluded from being spiritually alive for you in some way. As these different compartments present in your awareness, just pay attention one by one, and as you sense them, hold it lightly in your heart and consider what it would mean to bring this too into your practice. You might have the time for just a few areas that you're very aware you're not wakeful in, you're not present in. bringing each into your awareness. This too, envisioning how your sense of the sacred could grow to include this in your practice with full attention and compassion. 
Sense how each of these compartments has a lesson to teach. Could deepen your attention and open your heart. One by one, trying to sense how your spirit and loving respect can re-inhabit every dimension of life. Now for many of us, this is an ongoing and big meditation and a few minutes doesn't cover it because there's lots of our life that we've excluded. But this is to give you a taste for how you can begin to identify and in your mind's eye sense, well, how would it be possible to include this too? And this, and this. Take a few moments if anyone has anything that you notice or you'd like to share at this point. Anyone? Well, my two areas that came to mind was shopping malls and cleaning my boat. (laughs) (laughs) But I was able to at least see glimmers of where I could possibly incorporate it and and feel fuller. It was not easy. (laughs) Well, glimmers count for a lot. Yeah, I mean, the shopping, I guess I could feel what they're doing, kind of connecting with the people, perhaps, mm-hmm. and the boat, uh, feeling a, a, a sort of a, a com- common ownership with my husband, and this is something we want to keep beautiful and, and work at together, and mm-hmm. maybe I could get that. <laughs> but it helps that you're even, if you strategize, it helps. Where we habitually shut off requires intentionality and strategizing. So that's beautiful. Just to begin. Yeah, morning. I think probably like a lot of people that saw that, saw that traffic, uh, heavy traffic areas. And um, I, I've been really attuned to this for, for quite a while. And one thing I do is I don't listen to the radio as far anymore. Mm. Um, it just I, I try to be totally aware of what's going on around me, uh, focusing on the other drivers and just being right where I am, not anywhere mm-hmm. else. And it seems that when I'm when I have too many other things going on, that's when I get most stressed out and you know worried. I have to be someplace. And the only place I have to be is right here. Mm-hmm. Great. So traffic and just trying to stay right there in the moment. Traffic is, is there any, let me just see by hands, how many find that's one of the areas that are just hardest to, I mean, I'll raise my hand. <laughs> A good number. 
be an interesting experiment of just over the next few weeks to see how much presence, see what strategy works to be more holy there, honoring that moment too. See what we come up with. So yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Harriet. I'm not sure if everyone could hear that, but the being in traffic and then the shock and and the horror that comes up when you sense that, yeah, that somebody, that there was actually an accident and that people were hurt and it kind of drops you from your, the frustrations of traffic into our common shared human predicament of life and death. So that's a wake up. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Okay. We're going to be, you know, exploring more of these compartments, but this is just to give you a taste of what on your own you can do. And we can do this, I do it at the end of each day, is just sense the parts of my day that I just wrote off in some way because I was caught in an activity that was goal-oriented and I hadn't quite framed it as part of the path. It's a powerful way to bring it alive. For many, a key area, and this is area number two, that we compartmentalize is around who we include in our hearts. This isn't just the activities, but who do we include in our hearts? This is the place that our judgments play out most fully, that we are constantly monitoring that this person has something to offer or give me, this person's going to drain me, this person's threatening. higher, lower, I'm more powerful, they're more powerful on the social hierarchy. There's countless discriminations, and this isn't wise discrimination, but ways that we create distances so as not to just feel a very simple, here we are, that we create separations. There's actually a whole field of study now, it's called sociometry, that watches for the patterns of choosing, all the subtle conscious and unconscious ways that we pick and choose the people in our lives. Again, it's not about that having a preference, having a natural draw is good or bad. It's that we have such a deeply grooved habit to create separations to walk through the world and feel in some way that we're separate, different, alien, better, or worse than others. And writing off a lot of people is not worth really paying attention to. There's a saying, the world is divided into people who think they are right. (laughs) So we carry around this reality, you know. There have been polls taken of people and their ways of looking at themselves at parties. Some of you I've told this to, I think, before. And that most people 
if they're at a party in some way construe it that they're, the, that they're an outsider and that somebody else or other people are the hub of it all. And yet if you poll it, it's like 90% or 95% of everybody's feeling like they're the outsiders, which creates a lot of outsiders at any given party. <laughs> Woody Allen, to you, I'm an atheist. To God, I'm the loyal opposition. No, it's just a different way of framing. The world becomes very, very small and very, very tight when we maintain that sense of, in some way, adversary or different or enemy, if we have an unforgiving or exclusive way of relating. And the other side is the world becomes not only very big, but quite an exciting adventure when we're moving through life with that sense of, here we are then everything and anything is possible. All sorts of very magical kind of levels of contact and connection. And this includes all life forms, not just humans. This sense of that we're all a part of it. This appreciation and connection with all the creatures of this life. And the metta, or loving-kindness practice, cultivates that sense of connectedness. Many people then their ways of moving through life is one of not creating suffering out of that sense of connectedness. Some vegetarians, that's their reason for, for doing it that way, is to not create suffering. I just heard today, and I'll read this to you, I'm not a vegetarian because I love animals. I'm a vegetarian because I hate plants. <laughs> <laughs> creeps up on you, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I just tried it out. It was just today. So. But it fits, you know, somehow. <laughs> A number of years now, as part of my metta practice, I started this kind of uh, reflection that where, wherever I got, when, or whoever I was with, just uh, saying, this person is my friend. You know, this is my friend. And it, it didn't matter whether I absolutely didn't know the person. I might be sitting on a subway and seeing them across from me, or it might be somebody I see regularly, the person at, uh, the man that works at the post office. This person is my friend. And it was one of the most transformative during my day practices I had ever done because it showed me how much I don't go around thinking that. I mean, it was this kind of like shock to me that I so subliminally but created these categories and just assumed that you know we're just in different zones and doing different things in non-relationship so it was um, again it turned it into an adventure it's kind of like wherever I went I had this kind of private meditation that actually took it away from me my friend to here we are again it's really sweet there are many ways of practicing that can kind of crack apart this way of creating these boundaries of who we are and who we let in and really bring it alive. Now, it's most difficult to do that, to include in our hearts, when our, we have a judgment that's really out of a sense of woundedness, when we feel hurt by somebody. That's when it's the biggest challenge who we let into our hearts. And we've talked a number of times about 
in this, in this class about the transformative power of forgiveness and that we don't forgive because we're in some way condoning uh, behavior that's hurtful. We forgive as a way of lightening and freeing our own hearts. And again, in that vein, let me ask you to do a short reflection now, if you will, just to close your eyes. And bring to mind someone that in some way you're blaming, not forgiving, resenting. It doesn't have to be a a deep, super dramatic kind of a non-forgiving, although if you'd like to, this is a good time. But someone that you blame. And sense the story of it what he or she did, doesn't do, doesn't do enough. And then if you can, to drop under that story and just feel the sensations of blaming, of judging, of not forgiving. See how fully you can just sit down into the experience of blame, becoming the blame, sensing what it's like. And then begin breathing and sensing the space around it, that it's a universal force, this tightening or hardening of our hearts. It's a reflex that all of us humans do and are conditioned to do and that others here are experiencing the same. So there's some space around it, forgiving your own tightening, your own contraction, taking a few breaths and opening your eyes. When it's difficult to forgive, that's a flag that where we need to be paying attention to is the pain that's inside us first. It's a... It, we've described this here before, there's a way that we deny what's real. If we too quickly try to go say, oh, it's okay, you didn't mean it, I forgive, because it doesn't come from having been fully with what's true in your own being. So there's a sequence of first opening our hearts to our own suffering. But that is the key to forgiveness, to see where the suffering is. Anyone that caused suffering is doing it out of suffering including ourselves. If we have an addictive or other type of behavior that we really hate in ourselves, we're doing it out of pain. And it's wise to want to free ourselves from that behavior, but it doesn't happen through judgment, through withholding our care to ourselves. It happens by seeing the suffering, opening to that. And then it becomes possible to see it in others. Solzhenitsyn, if only it were all so simple, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being, and who is willing to destroy a piece of his or her own heart? (laughs) 
what's called evil is really just the suffering and then the pain that's created out of that suffering that creates more of the same. So it's a profound spiritual practice to break the cycle of hatred, creating more hatred, creating more judgment, creating more blame, creating more hatred, and seeing the suffering that's under. Embracing the being, not pushing anyone out of our hearts. This habit of compartmentalizing with people, again, is so pervasive it takes really looking. Seeing who's my circle and who have I not included in my circle, either because it's my habit or because I've actively pushed away, not forgiven. Thoreau writes that there's this miracle of seeing through another's eyes, even for a moment. Can we look through another's eyes, even for a moment? Seeing the divine in each, seeing the pain in each, So there's many practices. You can design your own or use the traditional ones that help us to break out of that isolation that keeps us small and keeps us separate. One of them in the traditional or classic scriptures is to go walk through life and see everybody as a Buddha. And the only person you're not seeing as a Buddha for that moment is yourself because you're seeing yourself as a being that can receive teachings in some way from every other being you meet. It can be interesting. That one can be funny, interesting, curious. Everybody you meet, everyone in your life is a Buddha. And everyone has something to teach you. (coughs) Then you can do the one I described, each being is a friend. Each being is a friend, on some level related, a relation. And what it does, as I mentioned, is it reveals sometimes how cut off we are, and sometimes it reveals how much joy we can find when we reconnect. So again, a reflection, if you will, to sit up, close your eyes. Finding a sense of your breath, a feeling of presence and ease in the body. and bringing to mind someone who's dear to you. And seeing, as you bring them to mind, them as the Buddha, their awakened being. sensing what they have to teach, how in some way they can be a mirror to show you parts of your being that you haven't included to help you become more whole. knowing that you do the same for others and sensing inherently we are friends. We are friends. And then bringing to mind someone that's not as close to you, that you might call as a neutral or not too involved person in your life. 
that you might not include in your circle. Seeing this being now too as the Buddha, as an awakening being, as one who's here to teach you that there's something about this being that can serve to wake up, help you wake up a part of your own. open your heart to this being too. We are friends. You are my friend. Here we are, friends. Sensing what that's like to include in your heart someone intentionally that has not been there. You are my friend. bringing to mind someone that's difficult for you. Taking a moment to be honest and feel where the difficulty is, acknowledging and honoring what's hard. And then seeing them too as an awakening being, as a being that in some way can teach you, that your experience can teach you. Feeling grateful to be taught. You can choose in actuality to keep distance or not, but in your heart to include this being too. As the Dalai Lama says about the Chinese, my friend the enemy, to include this being too. You are my friend. Here we are. And then to sense who else is in your garden, beings close or not so close, bringing to mind the different persons, animals, life beings that are a part of your day. You are my friend. We are friends, including in your heart these beings too. Unconditionally friendly, inclusive, becoming that open, friendly, caring space that is our true nature. You are my friend. You too are my friend. From a soft and sincere place, we can begin to embrace this world in this way. 
And this too you can continue, but for now, taking a few full breaths and coming back, opening your eyes. And again, if anyone has anything that you'd like to share, you know, it's sometimes not easy in this larger group, but you're very welcome. So would anybody like to describe what that was like for them? Beautiful. <laughs> They're great teachers. <laughs> Thank you. Please. I just really want to like you said because so much of the work that I do depends upon having quote appropriate boundaries. Right. That's just a kind of all good term and it really kind of goes against what we've been talking about. I also have in many ways counted upon having very loyal and good steadfast friends. That's really important. Could everybody hear that? That we have very appropriately created certain boundaries that we not be overwhelmed, that we not be in a, that we not be too close to a person that could hurt or violate us. These are appropriate. These are wise. And how to reconcile these boundaries with this understanding of friendship? And I think that's the actual exploration, just what you're saying. Um, that while it seems paradoxical, that we can discover a way to walk wisely through our life and not spend time with certain people and choose where we create our distances, but have our heart in its deepest place still be honoring, respectful, and caring about beings in a very unconditional way. Being friendly doesn't mean that our energies are as actively involved with everybody in the world. It's impossible. Being friendly does mean that there's an intrinsic quality of care, appreciation for all life forms, but that we have that capacity to feel that. So that's a really, that's a beautiful one for you to work since you've got those two in different worlds to see how you can include. Yeah. Difficult. Yeah. And that forgiveness was something um, that did not condone their behavior. And that's really a critical piece, I think. A very critical piece. And also, um, there was something else that you said about um, it freeze my. 
I'm not sure if everybody could hear this, but it, to me it's kind of one of the most vital parts of our healing process, that there's no real healing and freedom when we carry that clutch, that fist of, of um, anger, hatred, unforgiving, blaming, and so on. That's why we did that little reflection on blaming. What does it really feel like? And when it's very big blame, it's suffering. Blame is suffering. And so it's really for the freedom of our own hearts that we don't carry that, that fist in us. And yet, how do we release it? It's through really feeling fully the wound, the hurt that's in there, feeling compassion for our own beings. Then we have the capacity to do a little bit sense that that person that hurt us is also a suffering being and feel compassion there. But that doesn't mean that we then invite them in the house. It just doesn't. It often means that we do just the opposite. Sometimes it means that we, you know, get child protection services over there, or that we call the police, or that we, you know, many, many things. And there's some wonderful role models in this last century of Gandhi and Martin Luther King and Thich Nhat Hanh and the Dalai Lama, all of whom were incredibly active and out there and in this world trying to change and relieve suffering. They were not passive. And yet, they did it from a place not of anger, not of hatred, but of real care. And, and that's the model, that we can forgive and keep our hearts open, but go ahead and try to make sure horrible sufferings do not keep happening, that we try to relieve sufferings. So that's adding on some more words. I hope it's helpful, and it's something, it's a to-be-continued, because it's an ongoing inquiry for all of us how to keep our hearts open, but walk wisely on this planet and take care of ourselves. So thank you for that. Anyone else? Yeah. Um, recently I got a very hurtful letter in the mail from a friend, and she was very angry at me, and she wrote some really hurtful things, and at first my reaction was like, oh, I can't believe her, and I felt angry back, and I was composing a letter in my head about how I was going to turn her back and retaliate, and all of a sudden like, I, I, felt, I felt compassion for her, and I felt sorry that I hurt her. I was able to sorry, write her a letter from a place of seeing her suffering and seeing her compassion. I mean, it was like this incredible opening that I never felt before. Mm. And it was, it was really beautiful to not meet her in the place of anger, but to kind of open myself and say, I'm sorry I hurt you. It was not my intention. And I don't know, it just, it was a good lesson. Beautiful. Yeah. It's so true. We can't, we can't jump there. You know, it's when we're not there, when we're still feeling the smallness of our hurt, we're not ready to then embrace. We first have to embrace our own pain, but when we're ready, there's such a sense of, of transformation out of the small hurt victim to the being that is with that hurt, but also with the hurt of others. It, so thank you for sharing that one, too. Okay. Um, and each one of these, we could have done a whole, you know, month-long series on each of the three areas. Um, tonight, I thought I'd give you the overview, and then if there's the interest, we can go in deep, more deeply to eat any one of them, because they all have to do with waking up everywhere. The third area 
talked about the first one of the activities and ways we say spiritual, not spiritual, the second of the beings that we let in, the third area which probably many of you anticipate is the parts of ourselves that we shut down, shut off, don't include, don't pay attention to, don't like, that we in some way neglect or abuse with judgment. There is a very um, well-known classic line in Buddhist texts, which is, the great way is only difficult for those who pick and choose, for those that have strong preferences. This doesn't mean that we like this better than this, but that we get attached, we get aversive. And our deepest level of picking and choosing is about how we want to feel inside ourselves, how we want to look, how we want to appear to other people. We have a huge amount of investment in how we are. And when our behavior, our personality, our mind states don't cooperate with how we want it, we condemn, we push away, we out the window. So that's the most profound and probably fundamental way we compartmentalize our, ourselves and do not bring unconditional friendliness. We create an inner enemy with the parts we don't like. Um, for many, it's addictive behavior that becomes the enemy. Sometimes it's our judgments that become the enemy. We judge our judgments, as you know. Our angry outbursts, our reactivity, our, our lack of capacity to be patient, our tendency to control things. We all have parts of ourselves that we don't like, that cause us pain, and that become the enemy in some way. When we have them that way, we try to cover up from ourselves. We try not to pay attention if we can help it. We certainly try to cover it up from other people. And hence, we go around doing a lot of presenting because it's painful to show to others what we don't like in ourselves. George Carlin writes, I'm not a complete vegetarian. I eat only animals that have died in their sleep. <laughs> I'm on a vegetarian roll tonight. <laughs> so we have these ways of presenting ourselves and our life. And sometimes we have a full-blown, deep aversion, a real loathing towards our body or our personality or our way of being. So the most important area of healing for most of us is this embracing or befriending the parts of our own self that we've pushed away. This is Carl Jung. One does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious, by including those parts of our psyche we've pushed away. So it becomes a really important inquiry to sense, how can we hold so much to our judgments, to making an enemy? And when I do kind of inquiries with people, what seems to come out is that if I didn't have my judgments, I'd be stuck feeling fear. I'd never be better. I wouldn't have anything to motivate myself to be better. I'd be stuck having to feel the grief for the loss about how it is. So we're addicted to our judgments in a certain way. And yet the judgment, as I think it was Kafka said, is perhaps the one suffering we can avoid. We can't avoid the fear, we can't avoid the reactivities. It's, these things come and go, the pain, the wounds. 
But to slap on this basic negation of who we are, I'm bad, I'm wrong, is the real suffering. That one locks it all in. So this last meditation we'll do is on the difficult parts of our own being. If you'll sit up, please. This meditation is a little different in the sense it'll be guided imagery and there's always a certain percentage of people that imagery is not their main thing. So if that's the case for you to please follow the spirit of the meditation and feel it more in your body. You can do this in many levels. We begin as we do to relax and be present. If you're sleepy, take a few full breaths and sit up tall so you can be more here. And choosing some difficult aspect of yourself that you have habitually judged, that's hard to forgive or accept. As I mentioned, it might be an addictive behavior or an attitude, some emotional reactivity you have with others, a way you try to control. It might be chronic anxiety or fear or depression. Just to choose some facet of yourself that you have difficulty including in your heart, that feels like the enemy in some way. And then for now, just letting that go to the byways and sidelines and just sensing that you're at the base of a very lovely mountain. You're kind of at the edge of a field that's at the base of it trees at the bottom that you're about to walk into. And there's a pathway you find. Let it be any kind of path that pleases you, but it winds through the trees and begins to move upward, uphill. You can feel your footsteps on this path, and you're energized. The movement's easy. You're sensing the greenery on either side, the bushes, the trees. It's spring and things are blossoming. You might find that there's a stream that you're following along as you gain altitude, (coughs) climbing up, moving upward. Trees changing slightly, getting smaller as you ascend up this side of this mountain. Till you reach a partial clearing and you can begin to look out and sense that you've climbed some. Sense the hills that are off at a distance. But you keep moving, moving through a cloud. So you're just aware of the sensations of climbing, the breath coming through the cloud, and again, moving up through to the tree line and above. So there's a much more of a vista. You can see out, and there's greater expanse or panorama sense of space, light, open. You look towards the summit and see on the summit that there's someone, a being, who's been waiting for you, welcoming, anticipating with pleasure your arrival. And you move towards that being. As you come closer, you sense, again, his or her, receptivity, that this is a spiritual friend in some way, an ally. 
this being's any being that you sense is there that's wise and compassionate and can be a being that touches your life. You move closer and sense a smile of welcome, the unconditionally friendly eyes, the wisdom that looks out at you, the kindness. Look closely, seeing the face that you can trust. You move closer yet, and you and this being naturally go to the place that feels most sacred for you to stop and either stand or sit together, whichever feels right. Sense your place. Sense the ease at feeling very embraced, very welcomed to be with this being. At this time, to look at them and let this ally of yours know of the difficulty that's been hard to accept within yourself. Take a few moments to share it, to offer it up, to let it be known, be seen, feeling with your body the truth of the pain that this has caused you. Sense what it's like to have this difficulty be shared, be seen by another. Sense if there's a question as you let this difficulty be known, yet the place where you can't accept be seen, if there's something you'd like to know. looking into the eyes of this very kind, very wise being, feeling your breath, and then allow yourself to sense that you are moving your awareness to inhabit that being's body-mind and looking through their eyes, looking upon your own self, your small self, with unconditional kindness, wisdom. What do you see about yourself, about the difficulty that yourself has been struggling with? What do you want from this place of wisdom, of spaciousness, of care to offer? What message? What gift? Take some time to sense what you'd like to offer and just offer it from your heart to your own self. you've done so, breathing and returning to your own body-mind so that you can feel what it's like to receive that gift, that message, whatever answer to 
to your question, feeling held and understood. In some way, bowing, offering whatever gratitude or final communication feels right. Taking your leave. And moving down the mountain with ease, with presence, feeling your body, feeling the steps, sensing as you do that you're letting into your body and your heart more and more of what was offered. So that as you find yourself going down through the trees, the green, Sensing the stream again that brings you to the earth at the base, down, down. You can arrive and again take some moments to sit, to meditate, to relate with wisdom and kindness to that part of you that's been painful. To feel what that pain feels like the pain of the difficult part in a way that's caring and open and more free. Offering to your own being whatever message, whatever touch, you'd like to as a way of acknowledging and respecting what's transpired. 